couple of different places, a couple of different places I will direct you to today in the scripture. Uh, number one will be our key text found in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And the other will be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want you to hold those places in your Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and then Luke chapter 10. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. We could dismiss right now and say it has already been good to be in God's house. A wonderful day of worship together to worship the King of Kings, the author and the finisher of our salvation. And to be able to set under the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Imagine the privilege that is to sing songs with the saints of God together on earth and then to soak up the infallible, inerrant Word of God together. I was preparing this sermon for today, and I am reminded of the words of B.B. Warfield, who wrote these words. He said, The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. Let me say that again. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. In today's vernacular, we would say that the Lord is looking for a few good men. Now, you know that I use that word men very generically, men and women, serving the Lord Jesus together. And such powerful words these are that we understand that the power to change the hearts and lives of, of people, the, the, the power to change people's uh, motives and methods in their heart and, and minds, it does not lie within programs and incentives that the church might offer, but it is the power of the Word of God that is illumined by the Spirit of God through the Word of God by the work of the Son of God. I can have all the programs in place that sound good, and I can have a catalog of incentives that the church would offer you as the worshiper, but unless they are undergirded by the power of the Word of God, illumined by the Spirit of God, by the work of the Son of God, those programs will utterly fail. It's just another way of saying this deep theological truth that it is the work of the Lord and not of man. It is the work of God to save and change and not of humankind. If you were to look at the letter of prayer, this is what we would call the prayer of faith that is offered up by the evangelist James in the letter that bears his name, James 5 and verse 19. He says, My brothers, if any of you wander away from the truth and someone brings him back, you may be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from his wrong path will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Programs are not going to bring people back to Piney Grove Baptist Church. Programs ain't going to get people's lives changed. Only Jesus will get lives changed. I wonder, brothers and sisters, who name the name of Christ, who abide in King Jesus, let me ask you this question. Will you go after the wayward and the wanderer? Will you go after the wayward 
the wanderer, the unchurched, the unsaved, those who are out of fellowship with King Jesus. So, with that being said, I will ask you if you will, if your Bible's open to Deuteronomy chapter 22, I want to start with an overview of the chapter and then we'll dig into the first four verses with a sermon that I have entitled, Go Get the Ox. Go Get the Ox. What we find in verses 1 through 3 is, actually 1 through 4, is the ordinances that God gives for stranded cattle, lost sheep, lost ox, and whatever else a person or your neighbor or your brother might have. And the Bible will tell us that you do not ignore your brother or your sister or the one that is in, in need. We'll come back and we'll unpack those verses momentarily. We find in verse 5, men and women shall not wear each other's apparel. Amen. The day that we live in, sometimes I'm going to see men and women dressed, and I don't know if they're a man or a woman. Now, if that's offensive to you, I'm sorry, but it is what it is today. We find that in verse 5. Verse 7, no bird shall be taken with her nest or eggs or young ones. You might be saying, preacher, what in the world are you preaching about? How, what does this have to do with the sermon today? These various laws and, and other places in Deuteronomy have to do with loving your neighbor as yourself has to do with this Hebrew truth of shalom, peace, loving God and loving one another. And sometimes laws have to be put in place so that we would come together in unity and our law enforcement people in here today, law enforcement people in here today, show of hands, anybody? Listen, you understand the importance of laws, don't you? You understand the importance of having rightful laws in place. The book of Deuteronomy is in places just that. So, yeah, there might be a bird that is taken out of her nest, of the young ones in verse 6 and 7. There might be some uh, instruction on how to make your roof, or in verse 9 through 11, uh, improper mixtures of seeds and this type of things, or fringes that might hang on the garment in verse 12, or in, in case of the hated wife and the token of, of their virginity and the proceedings therein from verse 13 through verse 21, what to do with the adulterer or the adulteress and how they might be put to death in verse 22. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God today? So these laws are in place to bring shalom and unity and peace. There is a case of the um, engaged woman uh, that is corrupt in the city, verse 22, 23 and 30 and 24. The cases of rape and the punishment therein from verses 25 and 27 and fornication, verse 28 and 29. And then lastly, no man shall take his father's wife in verse 30. Now, that was a very brief outline, and in a nutshell, I would say that these laws were in place so that the people, the Hebrew people, would learn what it means to love one another and love God. And if there was something that was wrong, they were, as civilians in this community, to do what you had to do to make it right. Okay? Take the wrong and make it right in community. But today, I want to speak to you on going after the ox. That would be the first four verses in chapter 22 of the book of Deuteronomy. And how you and I might serve Jesus even if it means going after the wayward sheep or the wayward ox and to bear in mind as we go, as we go, it is the work of the Lord and it is not man's work to change the hearts and minds of people. 
So let's stand for God, the reading of God's Word. Let's stand together. Today we will exclusively focus on these first four verses. Again, the sermon, if I put a title to it, it would be something like, Go Get the Ox. In verse 1, it says, You shall see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you or that you do not know who he is, you shall bring it, to, uh, bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. And then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. And you may not ignore it. You shall see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and uh, you will not ignore them. You shall, you shall help him and lift them out up again. Again, you might see this repetition of the word, do not ignore them. If you have that in your Bible, underline it, highlight it because we will be revisiting that again. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the reading of your word and teach us, God, through it, how to love our neighbor, how to go after the wayward, how to, to go after the one. Do whatever it takes, uh, shy and short of falling into sin, to, uh, to speak to our brother or sister, those who are out of fellowship uh, with you and your church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Last week we were in chapter 21, and we hopefully identified with the two people at the very end of chapter 21 that the two types that hopefully we were identif- that we identified with was the one that was to be stoned for their rebellion and their sin. And that was described as the son, the young man, that was a glutton or a drunkard. Uh, very basically that they were a person that was in rebellion. And they were brought out to the people of the city, the priest, and presented before them. And if found guilty, they would be stoned to death. And the other one was the one that was uh, killed or hung upon a tree, impaled on the tree, the language says. Verse 22 is the prime verses that we we highlighted and hovered over. Uh, Verse 22 of chapter 21, If a man is guilty of a capital offense, and he is executed, and he is impaled on the tree, his body must not remain Overnight on the tree, you must bury him that same day because cursed of God is the one who has been hanged on a tree. Don't defile your land that the Lord is about to give you as an inheritance. Now, students of God's word, you may not know the exact reference and you may not know exactly where to find it in your Bible. I hope that you do. But these are the ringing words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, the letter to the churches at Galatia. Chapter 3 and verse 13 in our uh, English rendering of the Bible. Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So the two that is mentioned, we identify with the rebel. We identify with the cursed. We identify with the sinner. Christ came to set the captive free. For all of us here today who is who is in Christ Jesus, who have been saved, who have been redeemed, you have reason to rejoice today. So rejoice, amen? Christ alone removed the curse of sin. Where the wages of sin, we say, are death, according to the book of Romans, where the wages of sin is death, Christ paid for that, uh, he paid for that offense. Christ paid the debt. Where all have fallen short of the glory 
and the righteousness of God, Jesus became our, our righteousness. Such an unfair exchange that is. That Christ has given us righteousness and we have given him our filthy rags. In the beginning of Deuteronomy 22, we see a, a mixture of various laws that I mentioned earlier in our, in our overview. The question is this, as we enter into chapter 22. The question is this, how does Deuteronomy chapter 22, how does it inform the Christ follower today? How does this help you, the Christ follower today? What in chapter 22, what in chapter 22 will help you see Jesus? And by the way, unless we forgot, that's the way we read the whole Bible. That's the way we read the whole Bible. Whether we're in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, whether we're in Romans or in Leviticus or Exodus, we say, how do these verses help us see Jesus? Because the Bible is about Christ. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Remember the tagline for Deuteronomy? We said, uh, Deuteronomy, I was going to call it this. Deuteronomy, it's God's word too. And so as we look at the book of Deuteronomy, a couple things that we need to remember. And here it is before we dig in. Deuteronomy chapter 22 is just as inspired. It is just as inerrant as the gospel of Mark or Matthew or John or any other book of the Bible. It is just as, listen to this, you might raise up a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 22 is just as inspired as the words that the gospel evangelist wrote about Jesus. Now that being said, how does it inform us today? How does it help us to see Jesus? Hopefully we're going to answer that question as we look for some applicable points as we bring out the text together today in our venture through chapter 22. And as I was working through this, in conjunction with the parable of the Good Samaritan, I thought to myself, the mode of operation for many people in the church today, it is not my business what my brother or sister is doing. But I've got to tell you, you are your brother's and sister's keeper. You are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You are their keeper. Of course, these words come from Cain's words as the Lord asked him of his slain brother in Genesis chapter 4. And Cain responds in this way. The Lord asked him, well, where's your brother? And Cain had slain his brother. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Do you not realize that you are speaking to the king of the universe, the creator of all things? And you ask him in some condescending way, recorded in the English, am I my brother's keeper? There's a theological term that I, we could call him that I sometimes relate to. And I would say, well, doofus, he already knows. Can we say that? Is doofus a theological term? Uh, I think it certainly relates to me from now and again. Well, doofus, he already knows. He's waiting for your confession to confess to him. And even though these words were stated thousands of years ago, it has become the mode of operation for many churches today. Am I my brother's keeper? 
This becomes problematic when we are trying to disciple and we're trying to grow in our walk with the Lord as we walk together in the body of Christ. Now, I don't mean by this statement that you are your brother's keeper, that you are the shepherd of their salvation. In case we think too high of ourselves, we can't save anybody, and we certainly aren't going to keep them in regards of their salvation. And I do not mean it in that regard. What I do mean is that we hold one another accountable. This doesn't mean that you are in charge of another person's walk with the Lord as far as salvation but we must, I want you to hear me on this. You know some people right now who are not walking with the Lord. Do you? Show of hands. You know some people who are not walking with the Lord as they should. But we must use every tool in our bag to help one another grow and do what it takes. And I must say I'm the first to fall short of this. At the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 22, we see a command that speaks to this, but in an outwardly surfaced way, a physical way. And by the way, even though I am your pastor, even though I'm the pastor of Pine Grove Baptist Church, I want you to be invested enough in my walk with the Lord and with Christ that you would say the hard things if you see me waning in my faith. Sometimes we think just because a pastor is on a salary that they're immune to hardships. Oh, they don't get, they get paid. They ought to be able to handle the tough and hard times. They, they, they get paid enough. They, they don't have no suffering going on in their home. They don't need anybody to come and walk with them. But I want you to be invested enough in my walk, and I'm sure Pastor Jason would say the same for him too, be invested enough in my walk with Christ that you would be willing to say the hard things if I'm waning in my faith and in my walk. And so... In verse 1, he says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep and go astray, gone astray and ignore them. You're going to go back. You're going to take them to your brother. And if he doesn't live near you, and you don't know where he lives, you bring it to your house. And then when your brother starts to seek it out, you restore it to him. Take it to him. Now, here's a, here's a random, and it is considered to be one of the various laws in Deuteronomy. Again, there is a purpose there to build peace, to build shalom in the community. But there is a word that is used there that you'll find uh, right at the beginning of verse 1, this word brother. Okay, it is this term that is used for a lot of different application in Scripture. Okay, it, it could mean a person who is really close, of course, a blood relative, a brother, but it could mean a person who is really close, but not a relative. In the Christian vernacular, we would, say, we would call one another brothers or sisters in Christ. That kind, of, that kind of idea. They're really close, but they are not a relative, but we will say in the term of the church that we are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been bought by the, although we might not be blood brothers and sisters, we are bought by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So that brings us, that makes us family, doesn't it? That makes us family. So we might use the term as a neighbor or a fellow citizen or every human being that ever existed. And according to Exodus 30, uh, 23 verse 4, even your enemy. The command there in Exodus is if your brother's ox, I mean your, an enemy's ox is, is loose, you take it to him too. And the duty that we find in these laws, the undercurrent, the thread, is love one another. Love one another. Because a person who, 
who cares for his neighbor, a person who cares for his, his brother, they cannot bear to see the ox fall and, and strive and not strive to, to relieve it, to take it out of the ditch or wherever it is. A person who loves his neighbor cannot help to see his property in danger without endeavoring to preserve it or to go to make that thing right. And likewise, it ought to hurt our hearts tremendously when we see a brother or sister in the Lord who has fallen away, who's not living for the Lord. And our problem remains is that we just don't know how to go about addressing it. When really the undercurrent here is simple, love one another. Again and again, there's this command, do not ignore it. The Bible says, do not ignore them, the sheep, the ox, or your brother, or your neighbor. If he doesn't live close, you go to his house, you restore what he has. And if I was to put this in a concise sentence, I would say, in other words, go out of your way to meet your brother's or your neighbor's needs as long as it does not cause you to come close to sin or to fall into sin. And so this gives us an opportunity to, to point people to a greater time coming. One that is so far removed from the congregation today and far removed from the congregation of Israel here that it's hard to really understand it. This one action on behalf of a good Samaritan taking the ox or the sheep or his belongings back to his, his brother or his neighbor points to a time that we will live in, this time of beautiful peace under the rule of Messiah. It is a shadow of a way of the restoration of all things when we will live in total peace and harmony, one with another, worshiping King Jesus for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity. This is a little snippet of that, a shadow of it. Now, I understand that the world that we live in is a very brutal place. And with the advent of the Internet and social media, we see a lot more of it. But we, as we minister to our neighbor, we also understand that we use caution as we minister the gospel and try to use wisdom as we minister to our neighbor. It might mean doing some good work that would open the door for the gospel to be entertained. I think of all of our missionaries we have on the international mission board, uh, our international missions right now, those uh, brothers and sisters, families sometimes, who are in very hostile places. Places that they serve that are very antagonistic to the gospel. They hate the gospel of Jesus. Do you think that those missionaries hop on a plane with a box full of Bibles they're going to check in as they get on the airplane? Do you think that they're just going to say, hey, I'm here to witness to everybody about Jesus going into a hostile place? No, they use wisdom and they use caution and so do we use caution and wisdom as well so that's why we need to get invested in knowing what our brother and sister needs if they need something physical we meet that if they need something spiritual we certainly want to meet that as well see Moses command from the Lord was that they were to show kindness regardless of the trouble 
and to go out of their way to show kindness. Likewise, part of the command was not only to show kindness and go out of their way, or that it's going to cost something. Okay, it's costly. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we are being conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ, if we are every day drawing closer to Jesus and we are being conformed to His image, it should follow that we would show kindness to those who we think might not deserve it. In fact, that is the gospel, that Jesus died for people who didn't deserve it. We might even muster up enough courage to share with them the life-changing gospel of Jesus. The really, really the only thing that can change a heart and mind. If we ever get to the point where we, we think that some people are undeserving of our help, then we have lost the mind of Christ in our lives. If we ever get to the point when we look at people and say, well, they don't deserve it, well, guess what? You didn't either. I didn't either. I didn't deserve the life-changing work of Christ in my life to forgive me of my sins. I didn't deserve it, deserve it, and you didn't either. Either If we ever get to that place where we begin to look at people and we say, ah, they're too far gone, or they don't deserve it, hey, we were exactly where they were. We're exactly where they were. Just for sake of review, I want us to recite the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know where that is, that is in the book of Galatians chapter 5. So let's try to do this. Let's try to do it without flipping our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and without having it on the screen. Okay? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Stop. Kindness. Almost embedded right in the middle of the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, this is not a checklist. Ah! I've reached love today. Ah, I got joy, and there it is. We find these attributes and this character in our blessed Lord Jesus. And we are being conformed in the image of likeness of, of Jesus. We will show love and joy and patience and kindness. It should overflow. Let's finish. Goodness and faithfulness, gentleness self-control and then the end of that verse in 23 says against things there is no there is no law brothers and sisters it only takes a little bit of kindness a little bit of effort to show kindness to one another and in fact you never know you might get to share your faith in doing so not only that being kind should come from a place of what i like to call an overflow an overflow so love, peace, joy, the fruit of the Spirit should be overflowing in our lives as we draw near to Jesus, shouldn't it? If we are drawing near to Christ, those things should be just a natural, automatic response in our life. If we are in step with the Spirit of God and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, then these things ought to be automatic, should be overflow as the Spirit of the living God is active and alive within us. There's a well-known story of Abraham Lincoln. He was... He was um, walking in a place with his secretary, and they come outside, and, and he's, um, he's walking along, and he looks down in the shrubbery, and, and uh, he kind of moves his hand into the branches the, and the short little leaves in the this, in this shrub, and the secretary looked at him, and she's like, well, 
what, what are you doing, Mr. President? And he said, well, there's a, there's a little fallen bird that has fallen from its nest, and I'm just, I'm just putting it back where it belongs. True kindness springs instinctively from the lives that are permeated with goodness. And so it is for the Christ follower. It should just be a natural response in our lives. Jesus shares this truth with those around him in what we know as the golden rule. And this is a tag that we have called uh, in our day and time to know where, what Jesus is speaking of. Uh, but we call this today the golden rule. And uh, we find this in the gospel account uh, found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And we know this, hopefully we do. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So uh, if I am wayward, if I am stuck in the ditch, so to speak, if I am out of step, I would want a child of God to come and rescue me. I would want somebody to come to my rescue. I would want somebody to walk with me and pray with me and share with me the goodness of Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Again, go get that ox. Go get that ox. And I'm not comparing people to oxes. It's just a symbolic thing. For the sake of the gospel, go to those who are stranded, those who are lost, those who are undone and need to be saved. And I say this to myself. Larry Stevens, you need to go to those that are lost and undone and need to be saved. And it doesn't take a lot of theological lifting to see the application at the very end of that verse. Just as the sheep were delivered to the master, so are we delivered by the master. So not only do we, do we go, not only do we go to our brothers and our sisters as a keeper of sorts, to help them walk with the Lord and disciple them along the way. But as we do so, we lift up, lift up your brother or sister. In our Sunday school class, we have started a little bit of a glossary. And uh, Tracy, Tracy has been the secretary on that, writing down any words that I say that we want to define and put in a glossary. And one of those words that are in that glossary that we have began to articulate and construct is the word edify. The word edify. Edify just simply is to build up. Christ followers are to build up and not tear down. Lift up your brother or your sister. And the Lord adds this clarification. Brothers and sisters, this does not just pertain to the ox or to the donkey but all that your brother has. It includes what your brother or sister has lost. Listen to these words in the end of Deuteronomy 22. He says, And you shall do the same with his, with his donkey or with his garment or with anything that your brother has lost, which he loses, and you find it. Again, here's this term. You may not ignore it. You shall see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and you may not ignore them. Okay? Do not ignore it. And you shall help him to lift them up again. Again, lift up your brother or your sister. 
So the religious leaders in Jesus' day certainly was guilty of breaking this sacred command and they were supposed to be people of the law. As Baptists are today, people of the book, we are called as Southern Baptists, people of the book. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priest and all were supposed to be the people of the book and yet they neglected this one key point as far as what we find in the parable of the good Samaritans. They were guilty of breaking this sacred command to lift up your brother or your sister. So recall with me the parable of the good Samaritan with our Bibles open. I'm going to just simply read this from the Gospel of Luke from verses... Uh, 30 through uh, 37 in chapter in chapter 10 we'll begin at verse 25 and behold a lawyer stood up to be put to the test saying teacher what shall I do to inherit life and he said well what is written in the law and how do you read it and he answered you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Well, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desired to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Well, being a rabbi, being the master rabbi, Jesus certainly isn't going to let this go. Being the king of the universe, the logos, the word in flesh, Jesus replied, Well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side too. Likewise a Levite, when he came to the place he saw, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, a pouring on oil and wine, and there he set him on his own animal and, bought, uh, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and he said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will pay you when I come again. Jesus asked his question, Which of the three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell amongst robbers? And he said, Well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, You go and you do likewise. The significance of this story is that the, uh, the position that all three of them had in conjunction one with another. The man on the side of the road and the priest and the Levite as they ignored the, uh, the man in despair, they were kindred. Okay? They should have stopped and tended to this man's wound. But now we have a Samaritan, as you know, historically have been in contention one with another with the Jews over where to worship. Do we worship in Jerusalem or do we worship in this mountain? Not to mention that Samaritans amongst the Jews were considered quote-unquote half-breed. And to use their terminology, now you have this man who is considered to be a half-breed stopping to care for a man's wounds who they have historically been some tension against in all these years. And to get this man to admit who has more mercy in this case, he would have to admit that it was this good Samaritan man who stopped by and tended to these, these wounds. The priest and the Levite 
who were both Jews, they went out of their way to ignore the injured. But the Samaritan who hated the Jews and vice versa was the one who, who stopped. Now, without unpacking the totality of this parable, we get the gist of what happened here. I want you to think about something as simple and trivial and practical as this. Okay, here it is. Because I have been guilty of this, and you probably have been too. If we are going to be honest with ourselves, that's what we're called to do, right? So here it is. Something as trivial as this. When was the last time you went to a store and you saw a person in that store and you went out of your way to avoid them because they haven't been to church in a while? And you go out of your way because you don't feel like striking up a conversation. Or you might see the person who have, who have had some complaints against the church and instead of getting in that conversation, you're like the supermarket sweep and you've gone down as fast as you can to avoid eye contact with this person or to have a gospel-centered conversation with this person. And as I say, shame on me, we are all to be shamed in this as well. And I understand, I get it. Sometimes you just don't feel like talking, right? Sometimes you just don't feel like having a conversation in the middle of Walmart or Food Lion about why they haven't been to church in a while. Okay, and whether or not this is applicable or going out live, whether or not I'm going to share this, put your context clues together, you can figure it out on your own. But we had somebody tell, I had somebody say to me one time, I'm coming to church next week if I got to come in my pajamas. Guess what happened next week? They weren't there. So yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand. Tending to a person's items Tending to a person's wounds isn't as intense as, as avoiding a person in a store, but if you ignore them in the store, you surely will avoid them when they need a spiritual triage in their life. And you will ignore them when you need them, when they need you the most. I am grateful. I am eternally grateful that Brother Dennis Wright an evangelist who came to preach the gospel didn't ignore a long-haired, heavy metal hippie by the name of Larry Stevens one day when I wanted to be saved. I'm glad he didn't ignore me when I fell at the altar and asked Christ to forgive me of my sins. I am glad that my next-door neighbor, Tim, did not ignore me, or he did not ignore me when he felt compelled to share the good news with me over and over and over again and invite me to worship with him. I'm glad Tim did not give up on me. He did not ignore the call to share our faith, to reach out to those who are in need. And every one of us in here right now, you know someone So again, go get the ox. The idea from Deuteronomy 24 and verse 4 is to help our neighbor when they are burdened. Beside the parable of the good Samaritan, do you know where else we get a good representation of a New Testament, go get your ox? Where else can we find this in the New Testament? Where do we find this? This um, symbolic, go get your ox. What would it look like Galatians chapter 6 helps us out. 
And I'm going to close on this. Galatians 6 says, brothers, that's all of us. That's not just the men, that's the women. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I've underlined that in my Bible because we don't go after him with a, a spiritual hammer. Okay, we don't go after him with a spiritual sword to, to inflict damage or to try to get them to come to worship through guilt, but through gentleness. By the way, isn't that a fruit of the Spirit? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Before we think that we're in such a high spiritual state that we are, we are king spiritual or queen spiritual, you keep watch on yourself because if it had not been from the grace of God, you might be the ox in the ditch. And then he says, bear one another's burdens as so to fulfill the law of Christ. Go get the ox. Go after those wayward. Go after those who are in deep need of a revival or of an awakening or just simply they need to be saved. Would you be willing to do that? Have somebody in your mind right now. Maybe one, two, three people you know. Maybe yourself. Maybe even though you're here in the pew this morning, maybe you're like the one in the ditch who needs help. Maybe that's you. The Lord is here if you will simply cry out to Him. The Bible tells us that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Let's... Um, Let's join our hearts in prayer.